Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to entitle this Beware of Investing in Israel. And the reason we're going to talk about this, it was prompted actually by an activity held by the Jewish National Fund here in Phoenix, where the president of Arizona State University, Michael Crow, delivered a speech entitled, The Power of Investing in Israel. And so we're going to ask, where is the power? And the reason we had the demonstration there in front of the Hilton Resort in Scottsdale, one of our friends here in Phoenix, in discussing with her, and she has visited Israel a number of times, been into Gaza, been in the Negev, and just recently was in the Negev Desert and visited one of the villages that had been destroyed, she said, over 80 times. And so she said to me, we ought to do something. We ought to challenge this. And I thought that was a good idea. And so we were able to round up some people and put on a little demonstration there to show our opposition. So we want to talk just briefly about that, but we want to get into this concept of, is it safe to invest in Israel? And the thing about the Jewish National Fund That's been around for over 100 years. It was actually founded in 1901, and uh, they buy land. And uh, just a nice little summary here from an article by Rabbi Alyssa Weiss that appeared in the Huffington Post. And and she says, uh, quote here, the JNF, which stands for Jewish National Fund, has long been responsible for using forestation, quote-unquote, sustainable development and other, quote-unquote, greenwashing projects to Judaize Israel and cover up displacement of Arab communities. The Knesset's decision to move forward with the Prar plan supports the plans of the JNF, which owns 13% of the land and explicitly only allocates it to Jews. The JNF is also currently engaged in a $4 billion, quote, Blueprint Negev project to ensure that the area has a majority Jewish population. Their plan includes economic development projects that seek to attract young Jewish Israelis and Jewish Westerners to move to the Negev. Despite the centuries that Bedouin people have been living there, ethnic religious identity alone is being used as a criteria for who has access to the land unquote. And she talked a little bit about visiting one of these uh, villages, just like our friend Julie did in the Negev. And the interesting, as another aside here, the Arizona State University has a joint project with the Ben-Gurion University in the Negev Desert. And it's a study program under their social justice program. And this makes a mockery of social justice when you see what the Israeli government is doing to the Bedouins by moving them off the land. And so 
one of our signs that we had at the demonstration was the one, no more wars for Israel. And, of course, you can contend, as, as we do, that the war in Iraq was a war for Israel. And there's all kinds of wars for Israel. And, for example, we had an assault by the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, came to the United States and without the invite of our president and spoke to the Congress. And what's amazing to me is he got 23 standing ovations. And so we really are bowing to Israel and their propaganda war on us. And one of these other kind of wars is are these economic wars that Chuck's going to talk about. Chuck, why don't you kind of chime in here and we'll look into some of the questionable business activities of the state of Israel. Okay, well, of course, I think we all realize in dealing with Israel propaganda about the Palestinians that you really can't believe much of what they tell you. What they tell you is what's expedient. And the Negev Desert, of course, is, a, is not a fit place to live. The Bedouins are extremely skillful. It only feeds just a, a very few people over a huge area and uh, makes up probably 75% of all of the Israeli land. And as, be, as best you can tell when you drive through it, and I've been through it a couple of times, you wonder how a, a lizard could live there, frankly. So the idea that they're going to turn that into a green area is just finding a way to get rid of the indigenous population who's there. Almost everything Israel does fits into these patterns of deception. And one of the things that's most interesting recently is a, a bit of study on Israel's huge gas discovery, natural gas discovery, off the coast of Israel in the eastern Mediterranean, and some of it is off the coast of Gaza Strip. And these deposits have attracted attention and ended up with a major company called Noble Petroleum that has offices in Denver. I think originally it was a Denver company. And it's been a very successful company, a large petroleum producer. They, uh, with a license from Israel, discovered this natural gas deposit, and it's been ballyhooed as being a multi-billion dollar asset for Israel, and it's going to make an industrial power out of them. What we found out in kind of keeping track of these companies that do business with Israel is you can't do business with Israel. It sounds like Noble Petroleum is considering shutting down the project after they've invested $5 billion in it. Their other partner was a very prestigious uh, Australian, the largest Australian petroleum-producing company called Woodside Petroleum. Woodside Petroleum entered into a $3 billion deal with the state of Israel. And uh, about six months ago, I think it was in May, they pulled out and they said it's impossible to do business with these people. What Israel basically did to uh, these companies is that after they found this natural gas deposit and they had a deal to develop it and everything was cut in stone and they were spending money, they came up with a new department that uh, suddenly had afterthoughts about the way something was done. They came up with a, a bunch of new rules and lo and behold, the Knesset or whoever approves these things 
simply went back to the partners and said the deals uh, will have to all be changed. And uh, so these companies aren't used to that. They're not used to the bait and switch. Essentially, the gas deal is falling apart. Israel has uh, negotiated with everybody they can find in the area to, to use this gas. They've already sold gas to three separate Arab countries. A man named Mohammed Abbas, who is the president of the Palestinian Authority, this gives you an idea how competent he is. He actually made a deal with his enemy to uh, furnish gas to the Gaza Strip. And uh, he subsequently has now reneged and said, we, no, we can't do this, it won't work. Israel has also made deals with Jordan to provide them with a pipeline and a huge amount of gas that's nearby. And most recently, the uh, new government of Egypt, who are uh, criminals themselves and took over by military coup, has made a deal with the state of Israel to receive this gas. But in the meantime, all the companies that are producing it and have put the money up to do it and discovered it and are the producing factors in it are now backing out of the deal. Very, very typical of the way Israel does things. We call it bait and switch sometimes. And this idea that the power of investing in Israel should really be entitled the pain of investing in Israel because Israel is infamous for cheating the people that invest in it. Now, uh, the reason we noticed this in the first place is we've written four articles on the bonds that Israel is selling to American citizens. And uh, those of you who've read these stories, they're all on our website under Israel bonds. You'll find them under that category. And they're good stories. And they contain a lot of facts that you won't find any place else about doing business with Israel. Because the way you do business, it tells people exactly the way you think and the way you act in other things. And Israel, of course, has been printing bonds up with American dollars on the cover. In other words, they've been selling bonds to Americans that are owed by Israel but are payable in American dollars. Turns out they've been doing this for about 10 years. Now, of course, what's wrong with this, as we pointed out in our stories, is that Israel, of course, doesn't have the right to print dollars. It's not their currency. So if it comes time to have these, this currency comes due, they may not be able to come up with the money to pay off these bonds. Israel also, upon discovery, has been doing this in four different countries. Israel has outstanding bonds that are payable in British pounds. They have bonds that are payable in euros, and they even have some bonds payable in Japanese yen. They've apparently gone into Japan and found J Japanese who are willing to invest in Israel and sold them bonds payable in yen. In addition to that, Israel very quietly has 476 billion shekels of their own money bonds, bonds issued in their own money. And if you add up all of this money together, it runs over something like $500 billion of debt Israel has in four different currencies. The interesting thing, of course, is that if you default on one bond in one currency, say you default on the Japanese one, it doesn't affect the yen one. So Israel has positioned themselves so that they can actually default on bonds if they want to, if, they, if it's in their best interest, 
and uh, it doesn't hurt the shekel because the shekel is a separate currency. Very fascinating the way they scheme and plan and do things. Israel does another thing with ordinary friendly folk, of which there are many in America who want to invest in Israel. They've created a special bond for them, and it's called the Jubilee Bond. They have some other series, too. They have several little series with cute little names. But anyway, the Bar Mitzvah Bond, I guess, or something. But the Jubilee Bond has a prospectus that's been approved by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, and in it, it very clearly states that the bond is not saleable. You can't sell it to your brother. You can't sell it to your mother. You can't assign it without the interest, without Israel approving it. And Israel doesn't have any provision at all to buy it back except in 10 years when it matures. So what Israel has done is they have a sucker bond that they'll pawn off on the person who's not smart enough to ask, what do I do if I decide Israel is not going to be stable and I want to sell these? Where is the market? Other bonds all have markets. All the other bonds have some semblance of a market that's been created. But the Jubilee bond is a special sucker bond designed for the person that doesn't ask or maybe for the person that doesn't care. They'd really like to donate to Israel anyway. So what it really amounts to is the way the Israelis seem to run their entire business life. And this goes for the way they treat the Palestinian people in every way is that they do it because they can. And if they can do it, they will do it. Bill Clinton is famous for making that statement popular when he was having a tryst with someone called Monica Lewinsky. You all remember that? He almost got impeached for this and other minor indiscretions. But when he was asked before a nationwide audience, why did you do this, Mr. Clinton? He said, because I could. He was very honest. He said he got involved with Monica Lewinsky and countless others simply because he had the power and authority to do it and there was nothing to stop him. This is exactly the way Israel seems to run her business. And uh, for that reason, I think the title to this, The Pain of Doing Business with Israel, is probably a good title. Uh, we're not the only ones to notice this. Recently, the Financial Times quoted a research report done for the government of Norway. The government of Norway was no doubt considering investing in some of these Israel gas situations or some other situation. And they had a study done on Israel. The conclusion of the study was, well, here's what it says. In a report of the world gas industry prepared for Norway this year, a consultancy named IHS ranked Israel lower than either Angola or Mozambique in terms of officials' respect for their own contracts. So this national organization has studied Israel and says they don't live up to their deals. <laughs> Skipping back to the currency that we talked about, the enormous debt that Israel has, the $500 billion of debt, for a country that really has no real production of, of much of anything, except some manufactured goods and war goods, the debt that Israel has accumulated has all been stacked up since 1986. Because in 1985, Israel simply repudiated all the debt it had. And the way they repudiated the debt is they just debased their currency 
and threw out the old shackle and replaced it with a new one at a switch rate of one for every 1,000. So people who had a bank account with $1,000 of shekels in it ended up with a new bank account with one shekel, one of the new shekels in it. So you see, the history of Israel in business gets worse the more you look. Comments and questions? Yes, it really appears that Israel is committing suicide. And for any of those folks that listen to us and would like some good history on this, we would recommend our book, One Nation Under Israel. Now, that book, we republished it, actually, a few years ago. And it was originally titled Holocaust II, Saving Israel from Suicide. And that's exactly what they seem to be doing. And I think one of the articles uh, here that Chuck alluded to, this is from the Financial Times, Times uh, December 23rd, 2014, and getting back to this Leviathan gas field targeted by Israeli regulator. In the article here, I thought that was kind of interesting. The watchdog group that was throwing up the red flag was an antitrust group. They were saying there wouldn't be enough competition and so forth. And so here's what the Financial Times had to say, quote, the antitrust watchdog's decisions comes at a time of slowing economic growth and complaints from Israeli and foreign companies of a souring business climate in the country. Mass social protest in 2011 by middle-class Israelis angry about high prices and perceived predatory behavior by the country's business tycoons swept a number of populist politicians into the Knesset and Mr. Netanyahu's government. The dominant position of Noble and Delic, Noble was the energy company from the U.S. and Delic is the Israeli company, owned by, uh, the Delic is owned by the Israeli billionaire Yitzhak Teshuva, on the gas market prompted MPs and government to draft rules limiting the amount of gas the companies could export. Australia's Woodside Petroleum pulled out of a $2.7 billion deal to buy 25% of Leviathan, that's the, the gas field, in May, citing unspecified commercial reasons. Industry executives said regulatory and tax uncertainty in Israel motivated the move, unquote. Tom, I believe that is a gentle language telling us in sort of a, a, a businessman's acceptable language what we paraphrase. Israel simply changed the deal because they could. Yes. And they found a, a device to do that. And, of course, they didn't come out and say, our oil and gas committee that has originally made all these contracts is going to renege on all the contracts and demands that our partners rewrite the contracts because we found out there's more here than we thought in the first place. That would have been what they could have said. But instead they said, uh, we have a new department that's uh, looking out for the rights of the, of the citizens and even the indigenous people, and it is discovered that we need to uh, do something for other reasons. So they come hatching up a, a smooth and slick reason for doing exactly what they want to do. That's the style of the Israeli mind. Uh, am I being too harsh? Does anybody, does anybody who studied the war against the Palestinian people think anything other than that? Is it possible to think anything else? Well, they, they do it because they can. 
most Americans do because of the conditioning and the conditioning from our government by our media. One other thing I wanted to point out, the Bedouins that live in the, in the Negev are Israeli citizens. And so this is not an attack on the indigenous population of the occupied territories in Palestine, but this, the attack destroying their homes is on their own citizens. So we get all these mixed signals from Israel like this. We always get the positive one here because of this mass conditioning by our media and our, our government here in the United States. Well, suppose we take this tape after we get it made and see if we can get President Michael Crow, who I understand is a very respected educator, and see if we can get him to listen to this tape after we get it finished. And we'd like to encourage our audience to, uh, to take it to people you know who think that uh, Israel is just being put upon by uh, people who don't like it, and let them listen to this and see what they think about it from viewing Israel from a a business point of view, a strictly business point of view. Not who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, but what do they do when they have an opportunity to do it in a business deal? Great. Well, thanks so much, Chuck, for your insight. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.